to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? The blackest dies. Oh my God. Come on! Welcome back to the Skewered Universe podcast. My name is Jeff. And I'm Leanne. And Leanne, this week, we're not watching a movie, right? No, we're not. Well, I mean, I mean we, we did. We did watch some stuff, but that's because we have a very special guest on with us today. He's been on before. He was actually the first person I have ever interviewed for this show. He's behind such movies as It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To, The Rake, A Chance in Hell, High on the Hog with the great Sid Haig. Of course, I'm talking about the man from Scotchworthy Productions himself, Tony Wash. Tony, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing awesome. That's great. I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> people probably people can probably tell we already had like a five minute conversation before this started, right? <laughs> what are you talking about? Podcast magic. This is you just logged into the call. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's good to have you back, man. I mean, it's been too long. I should have had you on a lot sooner so we could talk some horror shit and all that, because you you are a plethora of knowledge when it comes to horror from the last time we talked i remember thank you yeah i um i mean I, it's it's always been my my number one interest in life which is kind of probably a weird thing to say but there's so many of us out there so i i at least know that I, there's a kinship to people like you and um i couldn't think of of doing anything else with my time than you know watching horror movies and writing horror scripts and making horror movies and stuff. I absolutely love it. I, I miss going to horror conventions. COVID really screwed that up for a few years and I'm eager to get back again. So. Yeah, I'd like to get out to another convention. Leanne and I have been to one here in California that they did a couple of times called scare LA. And it was really fun. I actually met Bill Mosley out there who was like the nicest guy ever. Yeah, Bill's super cool. It's funny because you like you meet these guys from Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, and it's like, what are they called? The uh, the the something Fire Family or something? I don't Firefly Family. Firefly. Firefly. Fire. Yeah, yeah, I can't even say it. <laughs> yeah, the Firefly Family. Yeah, like you meet them and you're just like, wait a minute, you guys are such assholes in the movie. Like, you know, you're not even remotely like that in, in real life. And yeah, Bill. Bill and obviously Sid, um, you know, I spent a, a little bit of time with Bill at the conventions because he was always situated next to Sid's table and I would hang out with Sid right. an awful lot. And, uh, 
they always had such a fun dynamic together where they would play off of each other and and hang out and stuff and and the fans always got a kick out of it and it was always fun to kind of be around that those weekends i can imagine because i can see those two just having a hell of a lot of fun together and i've seen some of the the pictures that Bill has posted from the past of when him and Sid were at these conventions. And I'm like, man, I wish I could have just been there to listen to the banter between those two, just them going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of funny stuff, you know, because that's the great thing about both of them is that they're, they're really funny in general, you know, and, and Bill and Sid both have been in the business for so long. I mean, Sid obviously was, was in the business over 50 years, but Bill even had been making movies since at least the early eighties, if not the late seventies that I know of. Um, I mean, I don't know what he was in prior to, uh, Texas too, but, uh, you know, for, for them to have as many memories and, and so many different trials and tribulations of being in, in the business, uh, it was just always kind of interesting and their friendship was genuine. You know, you could tell that, that they were a couple of guys who, who had a, a genuine, you know, love for each other and, um, and enjoyed seeing each other because Sid's obviously was California. And I think Bill lives in Illinois. Um, I know he's from Illinois and I'm pretty sure he still lives here, um, which is where I'm at. And, and so I think that, you know, when they would see each other probably once a month, if not more, uh, at these conventions, I think that it was just a really, um, a really nice little reunion for him each weekend. So yeah, I miss Sid. I miss him a lot. Um, I really regret not working with him again. We had talked about putting him in skeletons in the closet when it was still being called chop shop. And, oh. uh, it would have been amazing to have him in that. And, uh, I've been talking to him about being in another film that, that I've been, you know, just kind of tooling around with in the background for, the last let's see since 2016 um so it you know it's it's unfortunate that we never got another opportunity to work together because we talked about it even at the last convention i saw him at before he passed he was like here's my agent's number again give her a call let's let's set something up and you know he passed probably a couple of weeks after that i want to say um yeah it was it was maybe no it was a couple i think he passed in august or september his birthday was in july he was it's my birthday's in july and he was like a a week after me was his birthday um but uh yeah i i think he passed a couple months after but i saw him in june of what was that 19 when he passed away 2019 so i believe so yes yeah um but yeah just all around awesome dude and uh really miss him Yeah, he was someone I always wished I could have met at one of those conventions, especially after meeting Bill to, like, get the other one of that duo that I had always seen pictures of at those conventions. Because when I saw Bill, it was funny. I was walking by his table, and he's just sitting there waiting for people to come up. And I stopped, and I looked. And I wait a minute. I did a double take. Then I walked over, and I said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do a double take, but I didn't realize this was actually you sitting here. I'm a huge fan of yours. He was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's just me. And he was so cool. <laughs> and then we both kind of shared a joke over people who didn't understand what the uh, chop top appliances were that he had autographed at the table. They're like, ew, what are these? These are weird. I don't get it. And walked away. 
Because they probably know him from Devil's Rejects, and they have no idea he was in Texas Chainsaw too. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, in the back of the my back of my mind, I wanted to look at him and go, "Lick my plate, you dog dick!" But you know, <laughs> probably would have been I like, mean, "What? What is that?" That's that's pulling from the that's pulling from the archives right there. That's a quote to send all quotes. <laughs> to be I have fair, an unabashed I haven't seen love that movie in about text. twenty years. I it's been one that ever since I saw it about four years ago, it's been in the rotation at least once a year. Oh, you had only seen it four years ago for the first time, huh? I had heard everything about it. I had seen the images of Bill as Chop Top and everything, and I had just never got a hold of it. And then finally I saw it somewhere and was like, I'm watching this fucking movie. And that was it... one of those films where I was a kid. I don't remember the name of the movie that it was in, but it's in a movie. It's playing on the TV in a movie. Um, and the character's watching the TV and it's happening. And then something happens to the character. And, um, and I don't, I don't even know if it was a horror movie. Like I, I, I it wasn't UHF, but I want to say it was like something like that where it was like it, but it might've been a horror movie. I don't remember. Um, but the character's watching Texas too. And it's the part where, where he comes into the radio station and, and he's like fucking with Carol, with Caroline Williams. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure that's my memory might not be serving me the best, but, uh, uh, I've also been up since yesterday, so my because uh, I work overnight, so um, so I I might not be remembering correctly, but I'm pretty sure that that's what it is. Is that it, I remember seeing that as a kid, and I was a very young kid, and I was like, man, what is this movie? This looks awesome, and uh, and then at one point I caught a part of it probably on TV or something where they're like at the amusement park at the end, and she's like running through all those caves and. I was just like, man, whatever this is, this is batshit, and I, I want to see it. And then I bought the VHS tape when I was probably like 13, 14 years old, and I probably haven't watched it since I was like 20. Um, I should throw it on one of these nights. My wife probably would hate it. It's kind of a weird movie. <laughs> it's it's batshit insane, and it proves just how uh, slightly off-kilter Toby Hooper really was. Oh, yeah. But Oh, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. I mean, <laughs> it works for me. It's it's dumb fun. I mean, it's batshit insane. Dennis Hopper coked out of his mind swinging chainsaws around. What's not to love? That I, I love Dennis Hopper in it, and it's got some amazing gore effects. When that dude is in the, the Mercedes convertible and, and, like, gets his head cut in, in half, like, it's, it's so fucking cool. Um... And just even seeing like Leatherface standing on the back of that truck when they're driving next to him and he's like dancing around and he's got that like dead body strapped to the front of him. It's just so mm -hmm. quirky, but it's really creepy and kind of weird and cool. And yeah, I mean, you know, here we are talking horror, like we said we were going to save for another podcast, but it's like, <laughs> you know, Toby Hooper, obviously he's one of the greats, but it's still funny to me because I feel like he still doesn't necessarily get the credit that a lot of the other greats get even like George Romero gets more credit than Toby Hooper does. And I love Romero. I, you know, rest his, his rest in peace, you know, but like <laughs> other than, I mean, creep shows awesome. And, and the, the living dead trilogy, because I don't really think about the other films, but the, the right. first three are, are pretty awesome in, in their own rights. But other than that, 
two evil eyes, whatever, you know, and, and I don't really know. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of other things that he did. Night Riders and stuff like that. Who cares? Crazies. But like, yeah, Cody there's Cooper, Martin that I haven't seen either. There's there's much of Romero's work I still haven't seen, but I know it's out there. Martin is, I you know, people like it, and I understand why they like it, but it's it's a little too boring for me. Um, and it's very low budget, so you know you have to you give you give credit where credits due in terms of him creating a movie on film back then with no money. Um, and it shows, you know, because it's very low budget. That's why it hasn't really gotten major distribution, um, over the years, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's good for what it is. You know, you, you think of other low budget movies like that, um, where it's, it's minimal characters, minimal locations. And, and I think he did a good job and he did something back before, people were doing that, you know, at least that I know of, I, I don't, I haven't really discovered very many super low budget horror films that, that weren't like, you know, cheesy rubber suit monster movies like Corman style stuff. Right. Um, right. But, <laughs> but you get back to Hooper and it's like, you know, you think about not just Texas chainsaw, obviously, which redefined the genre, but whether people want to say that Steven Spielberg was basically steering the vehicle for Poltergeist or not, Poltergeist still has some sort of Toby Hooper influence over it. And that's a great movie. And, um, I love, uh, I love some of the newer movies he did his toolbox murders remake and mortuary. Have you seen those? I have not They're They're on my list. I have a list of shame, you know, the list we all have of things that we haven't seen that we probably should have fucking have by now. So they are definitely on my list of movies. Do, to do see. yourself a favor. They're 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 really they're really awesome. Like they're they, you know they're they kind of fall into that that mixed bag of of late like two thousands like early twenty tens um move movies that were were like the post saw era but like the <laughs> pre um kind of elevated bullshit horror and. Uh. That, that were all direct to video when there were still video stores and they're just really good. Like I, the, the killer and toolbox murders is super cool. And the, the apartment complex is really neat. Um, and his whole layer is a great location. And then mortuary is just a super cool, wacky, like movie with the mom from pet cemetery in it. And, uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a really cool movie. So definitely check them out. I think they're on Tubi. Um, oh, nice. You got to deal with commercials, but who cares? It's, they're unedited. Hey, you know, Tubi, Tubi's fine. Speaking of Tubi, that's actually how I went back and rewatched Skeletons in the Closet. Cool. I, I hate that it's got the commercial breaks, but, uh, you know, at least the movie's unedited and it's on there for people to see. So, yeah. Th- that was the biggest thing for me is I'm like, man, these commercials just kind of skeletons to me is a movie that you need to watch uncut mm-hmm. without the ads, because it does kind of interfere with the flow of everything. That being said, I still had a lot of fun watching that movie. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, I, I, it's, I do it's need to show fun. it to Leanne. She, she works graveyard, so she doesn't have the same time that I have where I can watch stuff. So she a nurse. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) (laughs) no, I, I just work in a like file room slash, um, warehouse. Gotcha. 
yeah, I work overnights too. So I, I know it's not a tough, it's not an easy schedule to live. Um, but especially uh, when me and him want to watch something together. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can imagine like my wife, she runs her own business. So thankfully she works from home. So she's able to kind of curtail her schedule around mine. And that really helps because otherwise we've said it too, that we would never see each other. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I can understand the pain. Um, yeah. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully you guys, he, Jeff said that you guys were going to watch some of the stuff together. You're going to have a little marathon yesterday. So I'm hoping that that ended up happening. Yeah, Jeff, go, let's, let's dive into that because let's, I've got stuff to say. <laughs> let's go ahead. So first I, she was, she was actually sleeping because it was earlier in the day. She had got home just a few hours before. So I decided to watch high on the hog and I love that movie. It is everything I want in a modern version of an exploitation film from the seventies. It felt so grindhouse. Sid Haig was brilliant. Joe Estevez chewed every piece of goddamn scenery he was given. Yeah. And even Robert Zadar. I was like, this is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it it really ended up turning out to be uh, a really great movie in the end. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of it because, you know, going into it, it there was uh, there was a lot of a lot of concern and and uh and even five days into shooting the producer walked off set and so we were we were thinking that we weren't going to finish making the movie and it it ended up um turning into a, a pretty a pretty great little film um and the the time on that set is some of the best that i've had in the business um you know we the entire cast and crew stayed in a, a roadside motel outside of galena illinois which is this picturesque little town in like the uh uh, right on the Mississippi River Valley, and um, it was just it was an awesome experience while we were shooting it, and that was you know ten years ago this this August it'll be ten years that we shot that movie. Um, wow! Yeah, so it it was pretty awesome. Um, you know, hanging out with Sid Haig, getting to know him, having beers with him, and uh, just listening to him tell stories and bullshitting with him, and earning his respect. You know, that was tremendous. Um, and, and Joe too, because Joe's a real hard ass, you know, and, <laughs> and he, he's one of those guys that doesn't really take shit. And, and you can tell that he, he believes that he deserves respect because of the career that he's had in his name. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I appreciate that he, he really enjoyed working with me from what he told me and, and my cinematographer, Rob Stern, um, and, and Robert Zadar was was a, a real treat. And that's that's such a weird, cheesy thing for me to say, like the way to word it. But um, legitimately just a, a wonderful guy. And I had heard rumors. Um, I, I worked at an advertising company with this guy who was a director who had done a couple of low budget horror movies. And he had had Joe Estevez in, in his film like this would have been. Uh, five years, five, six years before I went to shoot high in the hog and I just quit this job. And this guy gave me a call and was like, Oh, you know, I, I heard you're directing this movie. And he's like warning me about how Joe Estevez and Roberts that are like big alcoholics and partiers and they're hard to, to wrangle. And I'm just like, fuck, like, this is going to be, this is just going to be a disaster. 
but I'm making another movie and I get to direct Sid Haig and Robert Zadar and Joe Estevez. So I'm going to make the most of it. And, <clears throat> and I was getting paid a little bit of money. It was pennies when all said and done, but it was a little bit of money and I'd never been paid to direct before. So that was awesome. And it just, it, it was the complete opposite of what I thought five days into it. The producer walked off set, uh, Rob, myself, Sid Haig and Bob Farster, whose farm we were shooting on. And he was kind of the locations guru because he lives out there and he knew everybody and everything about that area. The four of us basically got promoted to producer and we all stood up and said, all right, if you guys are with us, crew and cast, we'll finish making this movie. And everybody said, hell yeah. And from that day on, it was just magical. It was absolutely amazing. And some of the best memories I've got making movies. That's awesome. And it definitely comes through that that cast had like a camaraderie because the chemistry between everybody on screen. And I I neglected to mention uh, Ellie Church as the DJ. Yeah. She's great. Her voice is perfect for that kind of DJ. And I was sitting there going, huh, all right. Yeah, I could definitely listen to her. Like back in the day, I could hear her on those overnight shifts. I'd be like, okay, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, Ellie, uh, so we we shot the stuff with Ellie in July of 2016, so it was four years later, um, we had done an original edit of the movie, and it was, it was good, um, the executive producer didn't really like it, because it didn't lend itself to the grindhouse nature that he wanted the movie to, to be, and while we were shooting the movie, halfway through shooting, um, it was like the 10th, it was the ninth day and Sid and I got together after, after shooting because I was all frustrated and, um, I always tell this story and we went out and we got a couple of beers at this bar and we were just kind of talking about it and everything. And he basically just kind of said to me, he's like, you know, if you feel like, because we both kind of agreed that, that there were, it, it almost felt like we were making two different movies. You know, there was these real cheesy kind of like just hokey moments where it's supposed to be silly and absurd and exploitation. And then there's these other moments where the actors were taking their characters and I was letting them build these characters and they were making them very heartfelt and very dramatic and very endearing. And I just kind of said to him, like, you know, it, it sucks because I feel like there's two different movies here and there's elements of both that are good, but I don't think that they're going to mix well together the way I currently see this playing out for the next 14 days that we're shooting. And he said, he's like, you know, if you can, if you have it in your, your head and in your heart on how to, how to run with this and make it feel better then do it. And so he, he bought me a 12 pack of Bush light. I went back to the motel. He went to bed. I partied till like 4 a.m. with a bunch of the girls because I was freshly single and <laughs> woke up the next morning. We were shooting the barbecue uh, band scene and um, I we had to get a generator. So my buddy Jim and I drove the three hours back to the Chicago suburbs to pick up the generator and I called the executive producer who was the writer of the movie. And I said, Hey, you know, do you mind if I kind of have some free will here to do these things and change a bunch of stuff in the script? And he said, Tony, if you can get it done and make the movie and finish it and make it congruent, then do it. 
And with it, with that blessing, I basically ran with it and I rewrote half the script basically in the car ride, um, got back, sat at a picnic table with all the main cast members and Sid, Sid basically said to them, guys, Tony's got this idea, listen to him. I support it. Let's do it. And everybody listened to me. They were like, hell yeah. And I was like, sweet, this is going to work out. And we just went from there and added a bunch of stuff like the, the breakfast scene when, um, when Lucy or AJ comes to the, the farm at first and she sits down and they welcome her to the breakfast at the picnic table. And, you know, <laughs> it, it just really helped build a lot of these relationships between these characters better. Um, and so anyways, then we, uh, so we had that film. I'm sorry. I'm very long winded. I'm just excited to be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're excited uh, to have you. So talk away, man. Talk away. Well, I, I appreciate For real. To me. I appreciate it. Um, but so we, we had the movie, we had the edit done, it was picture locked and we were all happy with it, but it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And distributors didn't really think there was much to it. Um, and so, uh, the guy who edited the, the new version of the movie, my, uh, Ben, um, basically was like, Hey, you know, I've got this idea and Ben's batshit crazy. I mean, this guy smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, drinks 30 cups of coffee and 10 Red Bulls. And um, and he's he's basically like he pitches the executive producer and Rob and I basically like this is this is how I want. I see this kind of coming together. And we all sat and we talked about it and we came up with the idea for the radio DJ similar to the Warriors um, mm-hmm. helping tie everything together. And so then when we decided to pull together the uh, the resources to make these additional scenes in 2016, I started doing the casting and I reached out to like Scott Shermer, who did Found and Harvest Lake um, and uh, uh, I forgot the movie he just did. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, um, but he, he did a bunch of films and had worked with Ellie a bunch. And a couple other people that that knew the independent scream queens, you know, we're not talking the Linnea Quigley's of yesterday or the Brink Stevens. And we're not talking about like the the bigger names like uh, Danielle Harris or Scout Taylor Compton, but the ones like Ellie Church and um, Haley. uh, I can't remember her last name. Um, Haley, who's been in a whole bunch of Dustin Mills films and stuff. And um I just I wanted to get one of them involved because I thought that they would do a really good job of the part. And Ellie, I think, was only one of two girls that read for the part. And she she really did a great job with it. And I was really excited. And I've always liked Ellie. Um, and it gave us a great opportunity to work together. So she came up to Chicago. We shot her stuff in a day, I think. And the awesome thing about it is that it, it developed a great relationship working together on that. And immediately after that, I went to Ben, who was on set at that point because he was the the new editor of Hog. And I was like, Ben, like, and we I had already pitched Ben the skeletons in the closet idea. And I was like, Ben, like, what do you think about Ellie as the widow? And he's like, dude, like that would that's yes, exactly. A hundred percent. And so then we pitched her on that. And at first she turned it down. She actually didn't want to be the widow. She thought she wouldn't be able to explore a character enough sitting on a couch. And, and it, it oh, just, oh. I'm so glad I, I had a phone call with her for probably about 45 minutes. 
and I convinced her to play the widow and I'm so glad she did. And I think she's really proud of that part too. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, so we shot all that stuff in, in four years after the regular movie spent the next two years editing it and, uh, released it in, I think 2019. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, uh, you know, again, it's a movie I'm very proud of. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I had a falling out with the the producer and, and, uh, and with Ben. So I don't, I don't really tour and promote the movie with them or anything. And it's unfortunate because I'm very proud of what all of us created with that movie. Um, but you know, it holds a very special place in my, in my heart and, and I'm proud to have it as a part of my catalog. Right. Well, that is unfortunate that that happened, but I, I had to tell you how much I enjoyed the movie because I know that you had, we had talked previously about some of the stuff you were doing when you were working on it and really pushing that it was coming out for the release and knowing how much time and effort and the work with Sid and everyone there that you did. I just say it, it all came together and I really enjoy it. I'm going to get a physical copy to keep in my collection just based on the fact that it's your work that's there. Well, it's going to sit right that's, next that's to my other Scotchworthy stuff. <laughs> very kind of you to say. I, I really sincerely appreciate your support of my catalog and and um, how much you enjoy my work. And, you know, it's I, I try and always throw as much credit as I can to my cast and crew because I just have always been very fortunate to be surrounded by insanely talented people. Um that, that just do a, a wonderful job of creating ca- captivating stories, in my opinion. And, you know, it's very impressive how a lot of these films come together and, and come together as well as they do, in my opinion. Um, you know, with, with the things that happen on them, from High on the Hog being two different stories as we were shooting and having the producer walk off set five days in. And she was one of the actresses in the movie, so we had to reshoot scenes from that she was in that we already shot. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like there, I mean, just one disaster after another, the first day of shooting the rake, the wind blew our 25 foot crane over and broke Rob's red camera, which was like, you know, $50,000 camera, um, Holy on the first shit. day of shooting the movie, talk about a bad omen. Um, you Oof. know, and skeletons in the closet, skeletons in the closet was seven years in the making basically and wasn't even skeletons in the closet when it started it was chop shop something entirely different and we were able to piece it together to be skeletons and it's slightly crazy and and doesn't make 100 percent sense but it is such a fun movie and i'm so proud of it because it looks so good and it's it's just entertaining if you're willing to pay attention to it and and just get invested in the stories and the characters in it so what does yeah. someone have to do to get killed in one of your movies? <laughs> you know, it's funny because you get asked that question a lot when you're a horror director. And uh, yeah, honestly, I, I tell people, look, as long as you show up when I call you and ask you to come, that's all that I require. Um, the toughest thing at, at this point is just getting a movie made and um, and and then just remembering all the people who have said, hey. Will you please remember to hit me up? <laughs> like I, I have a list in my email inbox. I have like a specific folder of like cast and crew people that have reached out to me over the years and say, <laughs> Hey, and it's a lot of like composers, composers and VFX artists are the most popular where they reach out and say, Hey, you know, or screenwriters, will you read my script or, um, you know, that type of thing. 
But oh yeah, uh, there's a part of me that wants to tell you a movie idea I have. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're more than welcome to. I, I, I mean, not right now. I don't think we should because I don't want you. Absolutely to get it out not. There. Don't get it out there into the universe without nope. you know. Nope. I, yeah. I, I understand the need to keep that away from the public. Well, and, and the collective subconscious is a real kick in the dick. I've, I've been, I have seen probably at least a half a dozen, if not a dozen of my ideas get turned into relatively the same, if not the same movie by other people. And I didn't even talk about them to other people, to the people who made them. I look at them. Interesting. Like, oh, hundred percent. The void is legit. I was literally the movie I wanted to put sit in that I was telling you about that I've been working on in the background for the last like six years. I literally wanted to make a movie about that was basically like what the void is, you know, like Hellraiser meets um, mm -hmm. meets the thing uh, meets the blob, you know, um, meets Night of the Creeps. And, and it's like and it's like then the void came out and I'm like, God damn it. That's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a movie like I wanted to make like kind of like a scanners type of movie. And then Joe Bagos came out with the mind's eye. And I was like, God damn it. And, and it's always the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I have I have an idea for a movie that I've had in my head for literally 10 years. I've got maybe 20 pages of the script written because I've just never dedicated time to getting it finished, even though I have majority of the plot in my head and I should write it. I watched Antlers, and Antlers is probably 85% that movie. The only difference is that it's a Wendigo in Antlers, and my idea is a different type of creature or mm -hmm. killer. Um, but it's it's insane. It's like you see that, in, and it is so disheartening. Um, and I'm not the only one that it happens to. It happens to people all the time. My buddy Jeremy, who co-wrote The Rake with me, hit me up a couple months ago and was like, ah, that whatever that um, that show on Amazon, I think it is, or Hulu, the nine perfect strangers or something or whatever. Okay, it is. I've um, heard of it. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, he basically said that he was working on a script because um, our my co-producers, Rob Stern and, and Sarah Sharp, they've been making a lot of movies over the last three years since we did skeletons and um, and he was writing the script for them and he was probably about 75, 80% done with the script. And someone told him, Oh, you should check this, this show out on, on Hulu. And he went and watched it. And he's like, Oh my God, that's literally my idea, including the twist. And it's, it's so it hurts, you know, it sucks. Well, even speaking to that point, it's, it kind of goes back. Even if you look back at phantasm, and the original Star Wars, I believe it was the original Star Wars. There's the Jawas and there's the little hooded demony things from Phantasm. And both guys are like, no, we really didn't know each other was working on, on the film and had these characters that look so damn similar. Yeah. It's just right. one of those things that happen to just be in both movies. And everybody's like, oh, well, did this guy steal from this guy? And they're both like, no. <laughs> We just happen well, to have you, a similar idea. And you got to wonder, like, you know, uh, with like Armageddon and uh, what was what was the other one that was Deep like impact. that? Uh, Deep Impact. Deep Impact. And then with Dante's Peak and Volcano coming out the same year, it's like, what are the chances two Volcano movies come out the same fucking year? You know? And that might be studios fucking with each other, but I, I just think that, that it's the collective subconscious. And 
So you gotta you gotta watch that stuff. Gotta watch it, Leanne. Yeah, I don't share it with anybody. Jeff knows what I'm talking about, and Mm -hmm. maybe two other people, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I won't say anything because it's not my place. But if you were to say something, or even pitch it to somebody and they say no you could have what happened and i think tony knows this story from a mutual friend of ours brian wolford who pitched an idea and was turned down oh, yeah. and then that idea was essentially i believe abraham lincoln vampire hunter oh yeah, oh, yeah. he is and i he remember so sore about that. and i was like he has every right to be yeah well in that i mean in in, in his in his defense i i think it's bullshit that he would send Asylum the idea and then they would go and make the movie without talking to him or giving him any credit. I think that is that is legitimately stealing in the idea, in my opinion. And and they don't strike me as the type of company that, you know, that I, I don't know. I, I just I I think it's it's bullshit because I think he reached out to him after the fact and they denied that they ever saw his email with the idea in it or whatever. And it's like that's that's stupid. But unfortunately that's that's the name of the game you can't right. you can't do that stuff you have to have non-disclosure agreements in place and um you know you have to protect yourself and i've been screwed over so many times i can't even count on on both hands you know the number of times i've been screwed over that you just gotta you really got to protect yourself and you got to bite the bullet and pay for a lawyer and all that bullshit that you shouldn't have to deal with when you just want to create art you know right yeah exactly because i feel like oh my idea is unique but then when you think about it it really isn't at all and (laughs) so let me guess you want to make a movie about a bunch of camp counselors getting killed by a guy not even close (laughs) not even close not even close that was my idea idea. damn it yeah, shit, no. I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> I, I, I can't even give a hint because it would it would give, like, the whole concept away. So, yeah. no. No, we can talk sometime. You should try writing it, you know? it's That's I, what I'm thinking because, but... yeah, I have different endings planned out already and, yeah. Yeah, start start formulating an outline and see how it builds itself from there. It's uh, it's actually very interesting as much as I, I hate writing like I'm, I, it's so tedious to me <clears throat> at the same point in time. It's the satisfaction when you're finished writing something is so freaking awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. So. And you've got yeah, I'll definitely keep with, at it, which yeah. is which is great. My wife is awesome to spitball with. I'm so grateful that she that she enlightens me with with ideas and stuff. And she she brings the female perspective to it a lot of times, which I think is great. So, yeah, yeah, that's basically what my my thing is. It's from a female perspective. Cool. And it's not even necessarily horror. It's more not even thriller. I, what would you categorize it as, Jeff? Um. Well, it's definitely got some drama elements to it, but it has thriller moments. It has things that could be considered horrific. Sinister, like sinister intentions. But I look at it this way. I I feel horror is all up in the eye of the viewer. Because 
Although with with some films, I I downright will say no, that's a horror film. Like anyone that comes to me and goes, "Oh, uh, Silence of the Lambs is a crime drama," I'm like, it's a fucking horror movie. There is a guy skinning people and making skin suits based on Ed Gein. That is horror. Yeah, I I mean it's definitely I definitely consider Silence of the Lambs a horror movie, but I I do believe it's it's also a crime movie because like look right. at Seven Seven's not a horror movie, but it kind of is. Right, it definitely but, has those horror and, elements. And I'm noticing, I'm noticing that there are a lot of people have different definitions of what they deem as horror. Yeah, definitely. Be- well, because you look at a movie like like Seven, for example, because I think that that's a good example. Because m- by and far, people consider Silence of the Lambs a horror movie. But by and far, I've not heard very many people consider Seven a horror movie. But they're basically the same thing. It's a procedural cop film about a serial killer being pursued. And um, and it's interesting because where else would you place those in a video store if the video store was divided into genres, you know? Right. If video yeah. stores still existed. <laughs> they are few and far between. Sad. If, yeah, so sad. Yeah, speaking of that, I remember there was a couple years ago I went by where our local one was, where as a kid I used to go and just look at all the VHS covers and stand in the horror section and just look at all the names and, you know, rent video games and whatnot, and it was gone. And it really it really kind of hit me hard. I was like, oh, man, that piece of my life is now gone forever. I only have the memories. Yeah, it's it's incredibly depressing to think about. Like, I... When mine went out of business, I worked at two video stores when I was in high school. And when the one that the first one I worked at went out of business, they were selling all their tapes and they were doing like the first week, every tape was 10 bucks. The second week it was nine and they went down by a dollar each week. So the, the, it's like the catalog got more and more diminished, but if you held out, you could get them for a better deal. And it's like, I, I think back to being a, a, like a, a teenager or I don't remember how old I was when that happened, but I want to say it was, it was definitely teenage years, um, probably right around college because, um, I remember bringing all my, my tapes to college with me and I didn't have a lot of money at the time. You know, I was making like five bucks an hour cause this is like 1997 probably. And so I just remember going there and being like, all right, I've, I've got to be really selective because this week I've only got, you know, $60 and it's eight bucks a tape. So I can only buy like seven tapes. And, you know, just like hoping like, oh, my God, I just I hope that Puppet Master 2 is going to be here next week because I really want it, <laughs> you know. Right. But, man, I got some gems when that when that happened, some real gems and, um, you know, like Silent Night, Deadly Night with the big box. And, Ooh. Um, yeah, Superstition. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Ooh, 80s supernatural slasher about. Uh, a cursed land where this witch was was burned and um and then they threw her in the in the, in this pond and uh a couple hundred years later the church owns the property and this this priest and his um and his family or deacon or whatever in his family move into the house and start getting killed off one by one and by the the witch that lives in the pond um it's it's batshit there's crazy shit like 
like somebody gets killed by like a, a, a possessed fucking circular saw blade that flies across the room. Another person gets oh, killed nice. by getting like stabbed in half. They li- literally get cut in half by a window that closes on them when they're trying to close, like cl- crawl out of a window. Um, but it's just, it's just such a fucking great movie. Um, shit like that. I miss I, video. I stores. wrote that one down. I'm going to seek that one out. Yeah. So it's, it's around. Nice. Now, I, I know they a couple years ago. Oh, really? I'm at Blu-ray. Okay. See, it's weird when you find these these smaller ones from the '80s that are on Blu-ray because you would never think. It would yeah, be on well, Blu-ray. well, but it's it's these it's all these companies like Vinegar Syndrome and Arrow and um, you know some of those other ones where they're like they're going back and saying like what can we pick up like Spookies. You know, Spookies is is an example of like a movie that did really well in video stores because it had a great video cover. It's not a very good movie. It's completely weird and batshit, but it's it's got that that nostalgic '80s feel to it. That if you grew up watching it like I did, you love it. And it never was on DVD. Real, I mean, I think it was on DVD, but it didn't really get the attention. And then one of those companies scooped it up, like Shout Factory or something, and released it on Blu-ray with this whole special edition and stuff. Um, I actually just talked to one of the producers of that a couple weeks ago, um, interestingly enough, which oh, was nice. Really yeah, it was cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, stuff like that. I think those companies, you know, they're just looking for opportunities to, to put that stuff out, like all these companies like Mondo and Waxwork that are picking up all the soundtracks, to these old movies and putting them on vinyl because they know people like like me will buy the shit out of them. Yeah. Final point I'll make on that. I'm actually holding in my hands right now from Synapse Films a Blu-ray uh, special meltdown edition of Street Trash, which I still have not seen uh, the movie, but I bought it because I heard people talking about how fucking weird it was. It's I was like, really, I like weird 80s shit. <laughs> the really funny coincidental thing about that is that the guy I was talking to who produced Spookies was an actor in Street Trash. <laughs> how funny is that? How coincidental oh, is that? Man. That is crazy. Yeah. It's now, an interesting I know movie. Le- now, I know Leanne is probably chomping at the bit here because she has some things she wants to say. Sure. Um, so I, we both watched It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. And because I got the Fuck Start Your Face edition, we did the Choose Your Own Adventure version of the movie. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to turn it over so to fun. Leanne here. I'm going to turn it over to Leanne here because I've been talking a lot. I'm going to let her give her thoughts because in case you didn't hear me the last time, I fucking really enjoy It's My Party. Thank you. It's fun. It's so much fun. So just a little bit about me. If you know me personally, uh, when I wake up, I'm not in a good mood. I I'm instantly angry if I'm woken up. And so today when I, I woke up from sleeping and Jeff was like, hey, let's put on this movie. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm watching this movie and I'm being so fucking sassy with it. And I'm having so much fun with it. And I'm laughing. And it really brightened up my day. <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. I appreciate my, that. My, my, my very favorite part jeff you might have to help me out with this but the blood poof (laughs) 
so it was one of the girls, I think it was the blonde girl. I can't remember all the characters' names. I know, yeah. I believe it was Sarah was the main character, I believe. Yeah, Cassie's the Who's blonde who blows up. Cassie. Yes. That was the one that blew up. That was when she was sitting there and started like writhing and kind of having her moment. And the two girls are against the door, and that blood cannon just shot at them. Leanne had me wind it back a couple of times to rewatch it. <laughs> I have a thing for projectile blood. Like, it just it makes me so happy. And every time there would be projectile blood, I would just start cracking up. And that particular part, it's like a, a poof. Like almost like a mushroom that explodes, it just goes poof, and this like spray of blood just goes everywhere. That's funny. It's fantastic. Yeah. That was, uh, I'll tell you, that was a. You should watch since you've got the fuck start your face edition. Um, you should watch the uh, the behind the scenes making of because it's it's interesting to see what went into making that scene in particular. I think we shot that like thirty five takes. Um, oh my god <laughs> yeah it was actually we had to shoot it over two different nights because the first night that we tried shooting it my dad when i was a kid my my dad my brother and i built a potato gun have you ever do you know what that is vaguely i i know what that is so you you basically um land you basically you take a like some pvc pipes and you put them together and you put an igniter in the bottom of it with like a cap that you screw on so that it's sealed and you sharpen the, sh- the, the far end of it, which is basically the end of the barrel and you shove a potato on the sharpened end so that it basically like carves the potato down and, and sticks it into the, the top of the, the, the cannon. And then you, you spray like Aquanet hairspray into the bottom of it. You seal the cap up and then you spark the igniter and it, it lights the hairspray that's inside on fire and blows the potato. And I'm talking, when we used to shoot this thing, it would shoot three, 400 feet easily. I mean, this thing would fly. Um, and so I thought, okay, when this girl blows up, we're going to do that. We're going to build a potato gun. We're going to put a garbage bag on the end of it instead of a potato. We're going to fill the garbage bag with a bunch of bloody bits And we're going to just kind of have it at a slight angle aimed at these girls across the room and shoot it at them. And (laughs) it it just wouldn't work. It kept, it kept failing. The garbage bag would melt the, you know, it would, there would be leaks. Um, It would, it would flop on the ground in front of it. It wasn't projecting at all. Um, What? And then finally, after like 20 something tries or whatever, we took a bucket filled with blood and just stood off camera and threw the bucket at them. And I shit you not, the entire <laughs> bucket literally went right between the girls' heads and hit the door behind them. Oh, no. So oh, shit. we had to stop one night because it was like four in the morning and the brunette had to had a test the next morning at like an eight o'clock class because she was like a freshman at the college down the street. And so we had to stop. We went back a couple nights later and re and reshot it. And finally, that last scene, and and you'll see it in the behind the scenes if you happen to watch it. It's like I'm holding the camera. I'm shooting it. I'm like, okay, everybody's ready. Everybody's like, yeah, we're ready. I'm like, okay. And, you know, action. We're shooting it. They're freaking out. Cassie's writhing. We're like, okay, countdown. Three, two, one. 
boom, it fired. It actually worked. And I was like, everybody, everybody, everybody freeze. And I was like, I don't want to like, cause I was so scared that people were going to like get excited that it worked or that somebody was going to freak out or that they were going to break character. And I was like, okay, girls. And they started freaking out and screaming and stuff and we got it. And I was just like, thank fucking God. And then as soon as we said cut, everybody like was jumping up and down, even the, even Sarah and and, well, Adrian and Darcy, (laughs) they were jumping up and down and we're so excited. And even though they were covered in blood, it was, it was awesome. That is fantastic. Oh my God. I love that. There's a story to my favorite projectile blood moment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's, and it's just a poof. It just there's goes a lot poof. of stories to that movie. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> half of them because it was fucking. It was already uh, that was uh, seventeen years ago. It's hard to believe. Holy shit! Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. That's why it looks the way it does. I shot it on standard definition. Right before high definition cameras became kind of the thing, um, but hey, you know, a lot of people you worked with you you worked with what you had. You know what do you expect? Yeah. It, you're working in such a dark environment. You know, I I really enjoyed it. You, you know, I I didn't see anything wrong with it. I really want to remake it, and I want to shoot the sequel. You would die too if it happened to you. And actually, Jeff told me that you you felt that way, and I said that's because he's a true fucking artist. That's an artist right there. <laughs> Let me go back and redo my last project. I just think it'd be fun, you know. And and if I could get my buddy Rob to shoot it, it would look it looks so good. And the sequel is so fun. Um, the the lead character, um, uh, she basically the night the night's not over you know after everybody at the party gets possessed and killed by by burkett and all the the monsters she whittles her way through these these creatures who are her friends with her katana sword and her martial arts skills and comes out of the basement like into the rainy night covered in blood kind of like uh andy dufresne and shawshank redemption you know when he's standing in the rain at the end um, that's so badass. And, and then she, she's, and then you fast forward to her sitting in the back of an ambulance and the, there's like 10 ambulances in front of Burkett Manor and they're just wheeling bodies after body out of the house. And, uh, one of the paramedics gets possessed by Jacob Burkett's spirit that leaves Burkett's body and enters, um, or leaves the kid's body, Travis, who gets possessed and enters, uh, the, the paramedic and, she's she's sitting in the back of the ambulance and Darcy, um, the brunette, her friend D shows up and starts talking to her kind of like, um, how Jack shows up in American world from London. That's immediately what I started thinking of. I was like, Oh, he's doing an American world from London thing. Okay. Yeah. And she progressively gets more decayed as she reappears to Sarah as Sarah's pursuing basically. So she's like, look, he's getting away. And Sarah looks and sees the paramedic and notices that there's something weird about him. He's got like the glowing green eyes and no one else notices. And he gets in the ambulance and he leaves, he drives off and she, she goes and grabs her katana out of, uh, out of the cop car that it's sitting in the front seat of gets in her car and speeds away. And, um, and the ambulance crashes in front of a fraternity house that's having a Halloween party. 
the paramedic grabs the body of Burkett that's in the back seat of the or in the back of the ambulance and carries it in the body bag up into the um, into the fraternity house party. And everybody thinks it's a costume. And he goes upstairs and he possesses a girl who's dressed like the Bride of Frankenstein. And she turns into like this spider monster. It's just so cool. It would be so much fun. Um, God, would I love to make that movie one day. Oh, man, that uh, I'm sitting here going, how how can I gather money to be able to get this thing off the ground for you? <laughs> I know, right? I know. I would I would love to see that happen. And the sad thing is, is that it would cost a lot of money. It's like I made the first movie for ten thousand dollars. And I think about now how much money it costs to make a movie and make it look good. And it's just like, Jesus. But yeah, I, ugh, it's insane. It's nuts, man. Yeah, I tried remaking it or tried making the sequel in like 2008, 2009. No, it was like 2008. I tried um, making the sequel and I was trying to raise $75,000, which I'm glad I didn't raise it because it probably would have been a disaster. But we had the perfect house in Pittsburgh, in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, um, that these people were going to let us use. It was exactly what I wanted. Um, my, My friend Adrian who sadly has passed away since then. Um, you know, uh, she, she was coming back as Sarah. It was going to be amazing. Um, so now I just, right. I just want the opportunity to remake it and dedicate it to her and, and, you know, get, get some new fans on board for the, it's my party train. Cause it's a fun ride. I really enjoyed her performance and the, the, you know, toward the end when she's, you know, wearing that outfit, she's got the black hair and she's like covered in blood. I'm like, fuck yes (laughs) yeah yeah she she did an she did an awesome job it was it was really fun because i held six days of auditions um at the savini school where i was going as an effects student and uh i i basically had my cast set in stone and it was the sixth day literally like the last hour before i was closing the doors on the auditions and and four girls came in and it was the three main girls uh danielle who plays cassie darcy who plays d and adrian who plays sarah and um and then one of their friends who was one of the she was the stoner little red riding hood in the back of the the red grand prix that drives ah, off um, okay so the four of them walked in and i was just like holy shit wow i'm completely recasting the entire movie and thank God, because none of the other people that were going to play these roles were even remotely as good as I wanted them to be. But I was going to do it because I wanted to make a movie, you know, and thank thankfully I, I got some good actresses and and it worked out. You know, um, that's the interesting thing about all my films is that there's so like I said earlier, there's been so many problems with them, so many hiccups and hurdles. So many nights that I went home after shooting thinking, God, like how is this going to finish? How are we going to make a movie and get it in the can? And, and they all end up coming together in the end. And, um, just very proud of them. You know, it's been some really cool experiences and it's, it sucks that I haven't made a movie in four years. I'm really excited to get behind the camera again. Um, hopefully soon. I'll tell you this. Uh, my rewatch of it's my party this time was a little bittersweet because I, I saw your post about Adrian last year and it, it sucks, but at least there's that performance. And I know she did other things, but as far as I know her from, is Sarah, the badass martial artist who kicked a lot of ass. And her, she she owned that role. I mean, I 
I don't know. I mean, if you ever get around to remaking it, you got to find someone with that type of personality and that type of, I don't know, that spark that she had. And I know you will because you're going to seek out the right people to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah. It, it was a little bittersweet. I, and I know I didn't know her, but knowing that someone who gave such a strong performance in this film isn't going to be there for a sequel or won't be there for, you know, maybe a cameo in a remake or whatever. It's it's just sad, but I, I'm glad her legacy as Sarah will live on in this film. Yeah. I and and I I say that too, and I I always remember that when I think about it because I get sad, you know I'm sad right now thinking about her, um you know she was 35 that's it's tragic like you know you can't you can't you can't think about losing somebody that young, um and it was just such right. a devastating, um, you know, uh, surprise to me, um but you know the really the really wonderful thing about about it all is that we we reconnected. Uh, like right around COVID, um, the start of COVID. And we had a couple of really good conversations spitballing about some movie ideas because her and I used to do that all the time, you know, 15 years ago. And we hadn't talked for the better part of, I don't know, probably six, seven years. And so we rekindled our, our communication and, and had some good phone calls. And then we did at the beginning of COVID, um, Rob and I did a couple of watch parties on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and we did an it's my party watch party and it was awesome because we brought we did um, we brought back Adrian and Danielle and Darcy and Steve, who was my co-producer on it. And um, there was like six or seven of us on and it was just so much fun having everybody on there and Adrian was on there. And so it was re- I think it was really awesome that everybody got, uh, you know, an opportunity to just kind of see her and, and reminisce about the movie um, as crazy, stressful and shitty as it was making it's my party, we still had a hell of a lot of fun making that movie. Cause we were all just a bunch of kids fucking around, you know, getting covered in blood. Um, yeah, but yeah, it sucks. I always wanted her to play the mom in the remake now that she, oh. but you know, at least I can dedicate it to her if I ever get a chance to remake it. So, right. Right. And and I didn't mean to drag everyone down with the sadness, but I mean, it is it is the reality of the situation. Yeah, no, it's it's okay. wow, Jeff. It's, it's, it's usually it's usually me that brings the podcast down. <laughs> it's usually me. <laughs> no, I think I think that is the great true. thing about it is is just being able to talk about her and remember her like that, you know, and, and like like Jeff said, having the memory of her, you know, eternally from from the her on this video and and you can watch it whenever you want and um you know i I hope that the people who care about her do watch it because i think she did a great job as hokey and silly of a movie as it is i thought she gave it her all and and um, i was just thinking the same thing i bet it's it's a great thing for her family and loved ones to be able to have that piece of her yeah yeah i uh i i definitely think so so um but yeah hopefully one day we can get that that remake done and, and the sequel it'd be a lot of fun i'll tell you this if if we're still doing this fucking show when you get that going you let me know i'll have you on here to promote the fuck out of it <laughs> guaranteed you Thank got an you. open invitation to come back here to promote whatever you're doing well, and we to just promote. come on gotta... whatever to talk about horror in general of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm down to do that whenever you just got to let me know when you want me to come on. And if I'm free, we'll do it. 
but uh, we got to we got to talk about the stuff I'm doing now because <laughs> yes, I wanted to know? lead into that because yeah. we're getting we're getting a little off track, but you've been working with bloody disgusting. You were helping to usher in something to Screambox, uh, Bloody Bites, which is with Bloody Disgusting. You know what, Tony? Let us know what's going on here because there's so much interesting stuff, and I saw your posts about it before you reached out to see about coming on. I want you to, to let us know what's going on with Bloody Bites and Bloody Disgusting and all that. So um, back in 2016, my uh, my partner with uh, with with um, with world of death and Jim and, and I, we, we created this show world of death, which basically was showcasing short horror films from around the world and blade disgusting picked it up. And, you know, cause I, I've been friends with the guys who run blade disgusting for, um, since 2009 now. And so I went to them, I said, you know, guys, I've got this idea for the show. You know, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, we'll throw it on our YouTube channel and stuff. And so we, aired over 200 episodes of world of death. We featured over 500 short films and they were from, um, more than 50 countries. So we created a really awesome community of independent filmmakers that I'm really proud of. Um, and, uh, when bloody disgusting, they teamed up with Cinedime, which is this huge media, um, you know, conglomerate company, um, like Viacom and, and the like, um, mm-hmm. they teamed up with them to create a Roku channel called Bloody Disgusting TV. And so they came to me and said, you know, Tony, we want to, we want to create a new evolution of world of death. Like we either want to bring world of death over and do something different with it or do something new. And so we basically came up with the, with bloody bites, which is similar to world of death. We, it's a 30 minute episode. We feature, um, <clears throat> typically between one and three short films per episode. Um, this is some of the highest quality, best looking uh, shorts that are out there right now. And um, from some of the awesomest, you know, up and coming filmmakers out there that you have or haven't heard of. Uh, and so we, we air through uh, Blaze Custing TV, which is on Roku uh, TV. If you go to the Roku app and you go to Roku channel, it's one of the channels on Roku. Uh, channels app um you can also find bloody bites through sling you can find it on pluto um and then cinedime also bought Screenbox with the intention of competing with shutter and so okay the awesome thing is that since cinedime bought Screenbox, they also in october of last year acquired bloody disgusting they actually bought brad and tom out of owning bloody disgusting which is huge for those guys because they built that website up over the last 20 years and um they're still running it but cinedime now owns it and so being under this big umbrella cinedime is like look we want bloody disgusting we want you guys to be the curators and creators of our horror content you know um and so that's that's where they have started bringing all this stuff onto Screenbox, and the intention over the next few years is to slowly start building original programming and original films that that we produce in house, um, and and then also bring you know uh, distribute and curate stuff like Bloody Bites, where we're giving independent filmmakers an avenue to showcase their work to the masses 
um, through a name like Bloody Disgusting, which, you know, everybody, if you know horror, you know Bloody Disgusting. So Yeah, Bloody Disgusting was one of the first uh, horror sites I started reading back in the day when the internet became a thing and you could find all this kind of stuff and they're reporting on everything. They were the first site that I bookmarked and was going to. So to see where they are now from where they started is is impressive yeah it really is i mean like i still remember it was the ruins um when that movie when they were showing the trailer on tv i saw a quote from brad miska who's one of the two guys who runs blade disgusting on that trailer and i was like holy shit i know that guy i was like that is so weird to see his name and a quote from him up on the tv screen <laughs> and now it's just like you know if again if you're a horror fan you know what blade disgusting is um, right you know, between Fangoria and Dread Central, Bloody Disgusting, I think those are the top three of the tripod um, when it comes to horror news and information. So um, I'm I'm just very excited to be a part of it. Um, the guys have, have basically talked to me about, um, you know, I, I started as the short film curator for Bloody Disgusting. And uh, now they're talking to me about um, kind of, evolving my role to um also go to film festivals and develop relationships with not only festival directors but also filmmakers um to acquire the content and curate it through the channel and Screenbox, um as well as then help produce the original content um which is really exciting you know um we're we're talking about doing a a, a remake or a sequel of skeletons in the closet um we're talking about you know eventually trying to turn that into a series if we can make that happen um so and then just onward and upwards from there so it's it's all very exciting and it's it's in the infancy stages right now but um i'm really stoked about it and and if you've got roku or pluto or sling um i highly recommend checking out bloody bites if you can find it because it's it's a really there's some really cool short films on there that are very entertaining and and bloody discussing tv is fun too i program the 24 7 schedule and it's it's basically like a regular cable channel like sci-fi or or tbs or whatever um where it's got commercials that play you know every 10 to 15 minutes but um and it's and it's edited like a cable channel which kind of sucks it's not like tubi um where it's unedited but you know, right. they can still get away with pretty much everything. There's just you just can't show nudity and and uh, profuse gore. But, you know, we've got a lot of cool movies on there. The collectors on there. And, um, you know, for a while we had the VHS trilogy and Day of the Dead and Audition and um, reanimators on there. Uh, a couple of really good oldies like Popcorn and Madman and, uh, um, oh. you know, so there's a lot. And, and since I'm such a big fan of 70s, 80s horror, I try and program a lot of that into, especially like the after dark kind of late night programming, um, mm -hmm. Galaxy of Terror, Piranha, um, you know. So it's to me what it is, is it's uh, um, my buddy Patrick Rea, who's a filmmaker out of Kansas City, says it best. He puts it on in the background because he always wants something on on the TV, just kind of in the background while he's working. And Bloody Disgusting TV is a great thing because it's just constant. You don't have to figure out what to put on next. It's just constantly playing something. And I do my best to program stuff that's entertaining, even if it's not, you know, a movie I personally like. Like, I hate The Collector. I think it's the stupidest fucking movie ever made. But, 
but it's entertaining. So, you know, I like putting that up there. Yeah. The collector is, eh. yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. It's, it's entertaining, but it's not something I'm going to put on. But if, you know, I get a Roku and go to that channel and it's on, I'm not, I'm not going to change it. I'll be like, well, I'm sure there's something on after this is going to be even better. So it's really exciting that you're doing this. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. And it's, it's, it's a great like second job because I'm getting paid to work with these guys who run again, one of the largest horror websites in the world and, you know, are producing stuff and are, you know, a household name for horror. And so I'm excited to be working, you know, next to these guys on a lot of these things. And it's just cool to, to, to be, to be involved with, with programming the channel and everything and helping, you know, hopefully build that up to be a a popular source for, for people to get their, their daily ingestion of, of horror. Um, so, you know, I, I'm definitely excited about the opportunities that they've given me and I appreciate it. And um, that's why I just want to promote it because I think it's a really cool thing. And, and bloody bites, like I said, it's just, it's a cool show. I think it's got a lot of really great content. So. Yeah. Unfortunately I wasn't able to find it when I went on Pluto. I went to Pluto TV through my PS4 cause that's how I do all my streaming. Yeah. I wasn't able to find it, but I am going to seek it out. If it means having to go get, you know, a, a Roku stick or whatever, then so be it. So I can check it out. But if anyone out there does watch things on Pluto, just keep an eye on those horror channels because I'm sure it's going to cycle through. You're going to see Bloody Bites and watch it. Support what these guys are doing. I appreciate that, Jeff. I I don't know if it's like on the on-demand part of Pluto or if that's Sling. I think that's on the Pluto that you can watch on-demand or if it's just on the horror channels. But, um, uh, you know, it's funny because for the longest time I was like, I don't need a Roku. What the hell's a Roku? Like, why do I need that? I've got cable. I've got Netflix. I got Amazon prime. I don't, mm-hmm. I've got a Plex and my buddy let me use his Plex library. So what do I need any of that for? I'll tell you what, getting a Roku was, was one of the smartest things I ever did. And I got one because when we, you know, we're moving uh, next week and I, at our new house, I specifically wanted to put a TV in the garage because I figured if I'm mm-hmm. ever hanging out in the garage or whatever, I'd love to have something on the TV. And we, a lot of our neighbors there seem to hang out kind of in the front yards. And so I was like, it'd be great to have a TV. And the guy who was trying to get me to pay him a shit ton of money to wire my house up with all the technology that I didn't want to pay for was like, you know, you only need one cable box because now you have an app on a Roku that you can get your Comcast or whatever your cable network is on the Roku. So you can literally, instead of paying rent on extra cable boxes in every room of your house, you just buy the one-time $40 charge for a Roku player, and you can put a Roku on every TV, and then it it has all your streaming platforms on it, nicely organized, including your cable. And you can access your cable box mm-hmm. from your Roku. So I was like, dude, that's awesome. And you don't have to run a cable uh, wire to your TV. You can just hook it up with your Wi-Fi. I did not know that. I knew about all the different channels Roku has. My my parents at their place they have a Roku TV because they were they were looking to get a TV to to have out in the backyard for when they have people over for barbecues and whatnot to be able to put on like the baseball game or just have on in general. Yeah. And they were looking. I said, "Look, you want to get a decent one? Get a Roku TV. It's going to have everything you need for streaming. 
It's going to be a smart TV, and it's the better option for you. They got it. And, of course, I was over there, and I was setting it up, and I was like, oh, Shout Factory TV? You mean I can find Mystery Science Theater? Okay. Oh, there's this horror channel? There's this horror channel? And I think this was before Bloody Disgusting had their TV. Otherwise, I'd have it on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, and and it's just it makes it organized, which is really great because I, you know, I've got I've got Shutter, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, the Plex, like I said, Comcast mm-hmm. is our cable server. So it's like, the, you know, uh, HBO Max, um, Disney Plus. So it's like you can literally go on there and just find it all. So I, I don't even get paid by Roku. I should. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's just super convenient. And then, and then that way you don't have to worry about, you know, you have it on all your TVs, which is awesome. So, right now is Screenbox also available through Roku? Yes. Yeah. You can okay. get the app on Roku. Okay. I wasn't sure of that. Cause I know you could get the app on like pretty much any mobile device. I wasn't sure if it was available through Roku. Now I know you were talking about, uh, you were part of the or how do i how do i put this sorry i'm stumbling over my words here i believe there was a festival where you helped usher out the release of the documentary for the 1998 oh. miniseries uh yeah so so since um uh panic fest adam roberts who's one of the guys who runs panic fest in kansas city um which in my opinion is one of the top tiered like b-level um genre fests what i mean by b-level is you know you look at like sundance and south by southwest and uh toronto international and fantasia and those those are your a-level festivals you know those are the big guys and then your b-level festivals that that have notoriety that are still you know you, you they're worthy of praise when you get into them um or panic fest and um genre blast and nightmares film festival ones like that um and so they reached out to me and because i've known adam from world of death and and um whatnot and we have mutual friends and, and he's like you know i i know you work for blade disgusting i would love to try and get a partnership developed for our festival and um see if we can get you know some of the stuff that you guys have on Screenbox involved in namely that pennywise documentary and so I talked to, to Tom at Blade Disgusting and we were able to, to get that set up. And that's kind of what ushered in the idea for them to to have me step up as kind of this festival, um, you know, liaison, I guess, is how I would deem the the title for the job. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about that because, you know, I the film festivals are so much fun to be a part of and the networking that's involved at film festivals is how a lot of people that are that where they are in the fest in the the business are where they are and so the the idea to to be on the ground shaking hands and bullshitting with people over a couple of drinks at the bar after watching their movie um with the name bloody disgusting behind me you know to say hey you know we're interested in your movie you know what's going to take to get it on Screenbox and bloody disgusting tv i i think that that's really exciting and it and it's it's a great right now is a really great climate for independent filmmakers in the horror genre because they're, they're content hungry. Distributors need good content um, right. because COVID really prevented people from making movies for a while. Um, so it's pretty exciting. Um, 
and so yeah, so so we basically got that set up where they were gonna they're gonna play the Pennywise documentary, which I'm really bummed I can't be there next weekend because uh, I work, but um, it's it's this next weekend, and uh, they talked about apparently bloody disgusting or Cynodyme actually has one of the screen worn costumes that uh, Tim Curry wore as Pennywise. Oh and, wow, yeah, and I really wanted to like drive that down to kansas city for the weekend and like you know have that there and represent play disgusting with that and unfortunately i work saturday and sunday so i can't and i'm moving on thursday so it's just too hectic for me um but but yeah it's, it's pretty exciting you know and, and regarding Screenbox, like i wouldn't i'm not even going to recommend getting a membership right now i would wait a half a year to a year just because there's really nothing on there right now that's any good and i'm not that's that's me as a horror fan. I mean, you know, they they need to build up their catalog, and 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 you know, we've all talked about that, and that's what we're working on doing now. <laughs> you know, if you go back to the infancy stages of of Shutter, it didn't have anything very good on it either. But oh yeah, yeah. But as it got members, and as it built up money, and as AMC started seeing that it actually, because that's owned by AMC, um, the channel, not the the theaters, um, right. But, you know, as they started seeing, oh, shit, there's actually a lot more dedicated horror film fans out there than we thought. Then they started pumping more money into it to finance the the, the acquisitions of movies. And and then they started, you know, original productions of stuff. And um, and, you know, my friends have a couple of movies that are being released through Shutter, And it's pretty exciting because they're building the network with the distributors that is going to help, you know, us produce movies and stuff but uh mm-hmm. but yeah i i think i and we've talked about it i think in in a year to a year and a half i really think screenbox is going to have some awesome original content that people are going to only find there exclusively and so i'm pretty excited to be a part of the ground floor you know of it all well, it, it sounds awesome but i know i I remember looking at screenbox early on i heard it recommended on a podcast they're like check it out they've got a few things on there and it was bare bones at the time. And this yeah. is, and I was like, eh, you know, and I don't even think there was a charge at the time for Screenbox. I think it was free because they were getting such smaller productions at the time, more like indie indie fare. Because we know there's there's independent movies and then there's like, you know, there's the real, like, like and this is not a, detriment to anything you do but i feel like you're real independent filmmaker like you're going out there you're shooting late hours whereas there's other guys who are like oh i'm an indie filmmaker every film i've made has had a budget of you know three and a half million i'm like could you do that for 10 grand and still get the same thing done i don't think so yeah Yeah. but and like i said that's not to disparage you or talk down to you i I love what you do. That's that's the kind of indie filmmaking I like is like nose to the grindstone. We're going to get together. We're going to have fun. We're going to get through this shit that we may deal with, but we're going to make this fucking movie. Oh, and I yeah. remember the early days of Shudder 2 not having a whole lot either. No, definitely not. And and yeah, I, I think that there's, you know, there are definitely tiers of quality in independent horror. Um, you know, there's uh, people you know, talk about the, the different levels of horror and, and, you know, you talk about the $5,000 features and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great if you, I mean, my first movie was a $10,000 feature. So, 
Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with making a movie for no money. Uh, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, people putting in the time and effort that if you're going to make a horror movie to, to make a good horror movie, like study horror and be a fan of the genre. Cause I think that more often than not, people are either lazy or they don't like horror movies and they try and make one because they think they're going to make it successful because horror is typically a successful genre. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think that that's the thing. I've, I've seen plenty of $10,000 features that were amazing um, because they were good and because the people who made them cared uh, and put heart and effort into the movie, you know. And sometimes that's, in fact, I think that's completely more important than money. Um, you know, we made Skeletons in the Closet for sub $20,000. And I, I think that movie looks incredible. And that's all because... Rob and, and Dave and Jim and Kiko and all the guys that are a part of my camera and lighting team are just so freaking good at what they do that, you know, they make everything look like a million bucks. And, you know, production design and the actors and special effects and everything, you know, it all it all matters. And if, if a film, if a guy says or a girl, if a person says, I want to go out and I want to make a I want to make a horror movie and I got my my mom's video camera, I've got my iPhone 11 and. And I got my mom's backyard and there's woods in the backyard. And I'm going to go shoot a movie out there in the woods. Great. Awesome. But study up, take some time, prepare, you know, that you can never take enough mm -hmm. time to prepare and make it look good. You know, don't just go out and shoot. I mean, you can, there's nothing wrong with practicing, but if you want to make something that, that, that truly looks good and that entertains people and keeps their attention, which I think is the biggest feat nowadays is keeping an audience's attention. Um, you, you know, you got to make it good, and, and that takes effort. So. It really does. It really does. Yeah. Now, Leanne, you've—I know we've—we've we've just kind of bogarted the conversation here. But do you have any anything you'd like to ask Tony? Um, no, not really. No, not questions or anything. But um, what you guys are talking about—I that's why I find it hard to give shitty reviews when we do movies. Um, because I know how much hard work and dedication and blood, sweat, and tears goes into putting a movie together. Um, the movies I shit on are <laughs> higher budget films where people are just in it to make money. And I hate, I, I like, can I, I'll just give an example, like Bird Box. <laughs> Not a fan. Yeah, I never uh, even watched it. I I hate a quiet, quiet place. place so. Fucking yes, I fucking hate. I fucking hate that movie so yeah, me much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Five minutes into it, I was like, "This is the dumbest fucking movie I've ever seen." <laughs> By the time I got to the end, I was like, "Are you fucking shitting me right now?" <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, they're 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 walking down the path. The 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 nine year old son is in the back. Why in the hell would you let your nine-year-old son, if you're in a world infested with monsters, why would you let your nine-year-old son head up the rear of your of your 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 train where you're walking cross country to wherever destination you're going? Why would you let your kid be the one in the in the back? You should have your kid <laughs> in the middle. And why would they? And so they, the fact that they got rid of like one of the best characters, Jeff. What what was that actor's name? John Krasinski that played the father? No, the um uh 
the Oh, you're going yeah. back to Bird Box here. You're going back to Bird Box. Yeah. I was sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I yeah. thought you were still talking I... about a quiet place, which quick note, I actually do like a quiet place, but I realize not every film is for everybody. Uh, Tony, if that if that uh, changes your opinion of me, then I am sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, clearly, it's it's got an audience. I mean, that movie made a shit ton of money, and the sequel made a shit ton of money. It's right. I just, I just, I don't like. I don't like when when characters in horror movies are stupid. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like if you want to make a movie about people going into space. And the people in space make stupid decisions because they're normal human beings. That's fine because none of us are fucking rocket scientists. We're not going to know how to do that stuff. But when you're like talking about a, a normal human being in a world where horror movies exist, because horror movies exist, they're like Mickey Mouse. You can't say that they don't exist in a, in a movie. I mean, that's just weird if they don't. Um, how is how is a character not watched a horror movie? Like, you know. <laughs> and, and that's 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 where I, I just I was like, OK, so you've got this gimmick where you can't make any noise in the movie. And that's OK. It's an interesting enough gimmick. I, I like John. What's his face enough? Because I was never a fan of The Office, but I, I like him enough. He seems like a cool guy. So I'll watch the movie and I watch it. And five minutes into it, they're walking down that path and they've got their nine year old son leading up the back of the, <laughs> of the walk. And the kid sets off that toy and gets killed by a monster. And I'm just like. That's what you get for letting your kid walk in the back. You fucking deserve it because you're a terrible parent. You know, I like, don't like when you. for me, I don't like when there's something so fantastical happening, but there's zero explanation like these monsters. I need to know more. Sure. Where did they yeah. come from? What happened? Yeah. How I long ago did this happen? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't I refuse to watch it. <laughs> I haven't seen the second. I haven't seen the second one, but from what I have heard and what I've surmised from the trailers I've seen, they do give somewhat of an explanation as to what happened, where they came from, and when they showed up. They No, they should not need a sequel to explain a story. Oh, I agree completely. I agree 100%. So I have no problem... I have no problem shitting on the, you know, higher end movies like that because the writing is just stupid. But for the lower budget movies, they work really, really hard. And so I'm not going to shit on them at all. If the story is good, then I'm all in. See, and I, I kind of take it from a different perspective where I, I like separate my my horror fandom versus my filmmaker mentality and so i'll watch an independent movie or even just a big budget movie and i'll say okay well as a filmmaker it was very well done but i didn't like it as an audience member or the flip side you know it was very poorly i feel the exact same way i feel the exact same way yeah there's there's the part of me that wants to say i didn't like it i did not like this movie but the other part of me wants to say it was very well done. The actors were great. It was well shot, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I agree. Like Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. I don't like it. I didn't have a good time watching it. But I appreciate everything that went into it. So I will say it is a good movie. I don't like Never it, but it. it's a good movie. Never seen it. 
just seems too boring for me. <laughs> it it is it is oh my it God. is it is it is a slow movie. I I enjoy it just because I like a slow burn every now and then, but it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah, and I know just... Leanne. Circling back to what you were saying about Bird Box, real quick, mm-hmm. the character you were referring to was played by the actor Lil Rel Howery, who was in Get Out, played the best friend of the main character. He was the writer who was yeah. giving all these theories he, as to what was happening. He had, he was such an amazing character and they got rid of him. Mm. They were like, no, we want to keep Sandra Bullock. Let's, let's keep her walking. Frowning. I, yeah. I heard so many people talking about, oh, Bird Box, you really need to watch it. It's this, it's this cool movie. Leanne watches it. Tells me about it and goes, oh, my God, this movie is stupid. I'm like, well, then let's watch it. I got to form. I got to form my own opinion. Yeah, it's oh, I didn't mean I, I, for this to become yeah. like anti bird box. <laughs> but that's how crazy. I got, it was so. Go ahead. I, I Go didn't, ahead, I didn't even want to watch it because <laughs> I didn't like a quiet place. But that's the crazy thing about the horror genre is that you get people who like who are like passive horror fans and like they'll see a movie like that and be like, Oh, it was a really good horror movie. And then they tell everybody and their mother about it. And then it becomes popular and successful because everybody sees it. And it's like that, that just further reaffirms my, my belief that if you have money behind and networking behind getting your movie distributed, you will be successful because I think the biggest reason why so many independent movies are not successful is because they don't get out there well enough. You know, you get a shitty distributor who doesn't promote it at all and doesn't know how to promote it and doesn't care to promote it or put money into promoting it. And they get it on Amazon prime and they get it on Tubi, and that's it. And then it dies there in, in the, in the, the swamp that is streaming, you know, platforms and, it's right. like if if these companies that these distributors would just put a little bit of effort into putting some of these movies onto a pedestal and saying, look, you know, we want to promote this movie. It would be amazing to see what other films would be more successful. Like I look at like Hereditary and I think Hereditary is a bag of dog shit. I, I think it's I think it's so stupid and boring and I just don't understand why people love it. And I think Midsummer is even worse. And yet that guy is like the horror filmmaker, you know, and it's funny that you say that um, because we actually have two episodes where we cover Midsummer, and in part two, it's me, Jeff and our friend Patrick French and Patrick French feels the exact same way that you do. He fucking hates it. It's just, it's elevated horror. It's, it's too lofty and heady for me. I'm not interested in, in trying to find the cerebral meaning behind a horror film. I want to watch a horror film like Friday the 13th part six. I want to watch a horror film. Oh yeah. Thing. I want to watch a horror film like (laughs) Piranha. You know, I I don't want to go into a horror movie unless, and it's not that I don't like cerebral horror films. You know, I like a lot of Cronenberg stuff. I like The Shining. Right. I like fucking, you know, I, I like a lot of, uh, I like um, uh, Robert Egger. Is that his name or whatever? I like his Yeah, stuff. Robert Eggers, The Witch. Yeah, yeah. The Lighthouse. I hate the dialogue in The Witch because I don't understand a word they're saying, but I, I think The Witch is a really well-made 
low budget movie and and the lighthouse is good it's boring as fuck but i really like it for some odd reason i really really like it i've it has hilarious moments leanne go ahead let me lighthouse go leanne nope she's done she gave up she said <laughs> she said fuck you guys oh no i'm sorry can you hear me yeah you're good you're back oh jesus okay thanks great i don't know what i was saying the lighthouse Oh, yeah, it's boring, but I love it. Like, I fucking love it a lot, but it's boring, but I love it. For some reason, it's captivating. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. To, I, I want to see the the Northman um, or the Norseman, whatever it is. My my wife and I, I don't think we've been to the, what's the last movie we saw in the theater? Was it, it wasn't Doctor Sleep. It was Underwater, right? So we haven't been to the theater in like almost two years, I'd say, which is weird for me. Um, but I just haven't had an interest. I'd rather... And, uh, and lay on the couch, and, um, you know, and, and get up and pee when I have to pee and, and make popcorn and all that fun stuff. But I really want to see Batman and I want to see everything everywhere all at once. And I really want to see the, yes. the Northman. Yeah, the Northman we looks do interesting. We have a suggestion Plus- for you. We have a suggestion. Um, we really liked the platform. The platform. What's that? A Spanish film on Netflix. Oh, the one on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, and I won't say any more than that, because if I give too much away... I know what it's about. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. I I went into it not knowing anything. Leanne had watched it, she brought it to me, and she goes, you need to watch this. And we watched it actually for an episode of the podcast, and I, I really enjoyed it. Because it was it was something different. But it wasn't it wasn't overly cerebral like Ari Aster and his bullshit. I'm gonna say it right outright. <laughs> I don't disagree it, with you. It definitely it was definitely a fun watch. Yeah. I mean I'll I'll I'm sure I'll get around to it eventually. The plot didn't interest me enough to wanna watch it. I felt like it was like cube. You know, to a degree, meets like battle royale kind of thing, and I just wasn't it really interested. But I'll I'll definitely give it a watch at some point. I um, so I I don't know. I've got a handful of movies I got I still have to watch that um, right. I'm excited to get around to. So we we all have those movies where like this is what I need to watch first. Everything else is on the back burner until I get to it, and I'll get to it when I get to it. So yeah. totally understand. And like I said, every every movie isn't for everyone. You may watch it and go, well, that was dog shit. Yeah. Or you can watch I mean, it and go, like, I can see the points. You never know. Yeah, you never know. I like Cube. I thought Cube was good. So it seems a little like Cube. But it also seems like Squid Game. And I thought Squid Game was a bag of shit. Fair enough. I, I enjoyed Squid Game for what it was. You know, I just. Every, I, go ahead. Go ahead. After you, sir. I, I mean, I've been doing doing all the talking i feel bad um i i just like i look at the squid game and like the like the the part where they were on the the bridge the glass bridge that was cool you know the first game where they had the giant like like red light green light and all the people were getting shot because it was the first game i was like all right that's cool but everything else in that in that show was stupid and i thought the you know the twist with the old man was stupid and I just, I, I don't know. It was just, it, it, it's for people to be like, oh my God, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. I'm like, motherfuckers, will you just wake the fuck up? Go back 25 years and watch Battle Royale for Christ's sake. 
because it's infinitely better than the Squid Game is, you know. And it's like you're 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 giving all the credit to this idea that was made 25 years ago to this show that's on Netflix, and the only reason why people love it is because it's on Netflix, you know. Right. And I think that goes I'm back sorry. to what you're I'm sorry. I'm I'm over here. <laughs> I'm over here laughing my ass off on mute because I love when people are so like angry and upset over something that uh, you know other people love. I think it's hilarious. Like when Pat was getting mad about Midsummer, I was cracking up the whole episode. I just I I get very um and I'm not going to go on a, a whole thing about this. I actually should be getting off here in a minute because we got to my wife and I still have to have dinner. But uh, for sure. But I I just I have a very and this isn't me as a filmmaker. This is me as a fan. I I have a very a very big distaste and, and like bad taste in my mouth for just the climate of 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 a chunk of the horror genre right now i feel like a lot of horror movies are being made for the wrong reasons and i feel like a lot of horror movies are being made that aren't really horror movies and it just irritates the shit out of me because as a horror fan you know the movies that i grew up watching that made me the the fan that i am they don't exist anymore and there's no reason why they can't still exist in my opinion you can make you can have a world where both types of horror films exist. You can have the heady, lofty, fucking hipster horror movies like The Lighthouse and The Witch. And It Follows, for all intents and purposes, is in that category, even though I do like It Follows. Um, you know, you can have those for those types of people. Get Out is a great example. I didn't like Get Out because it's the Stepford Wives with, you know, with a slightly right. different context to it. But, you know, otherwise it's the Stepford Wives, plain and simple. And, and no one can argue that, you know, it's, it's the same thing that I used to say as much as I love House of a Thousand Corpses. It's my favorite Rob Zombie movie to this day. But it is a blatant ripoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And oh, it's 100%. like, yes. And so I just I have I have a problem with with people giving credit to to things that are that are blatant ripoffs. Like when I talk about it's my party, I say it's an homage to Night of the Demons, Creep Show, and Evil Dead. I'm not, I, I wasn't trying to make something wholly original there. I was using those movies as inspiration and I directly give nods to those movies as a result. But to me, there are like these people that try and like create like this notion that their film is this original film and it has, and it's a complete ripoff of something that was done 20 years ago before millennials were watching movies because they weren't born yet. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I just it, that's that's my little two minute rant for for Leanne about, you know, how much I despise half of the horror genre right now. But then there's the other half that excites me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm really eager to see some of the new stuff coming out um, that that seems to be pretty awesome with with great atmosphere or is really exciting and funny or scary, but has action in it. Um, cool characters yeah i feel uh, i feel the same way yeah so i just I, I i wish that there were more people with money out there who were interested in giving opportunities to people to um to just you know make movies like that you know like for example we we have a script for the feature-length version of the muck um and you know the muck is a six-minute little short film that we did it, it there's not much to it 
it's basically just a scene from the feature length of the movie. But the muck is basically if the blob was attacking a neighborhood of uh, in, in the 1980s. And it's like, what horror fan wouldn't want to watch that movie? So why is it so hard to get the money for that movie? I yeah. don't know. You know, I'd be there to watch it. Exactly. So like, would I, because the blob is one of my favorite movies. Hundred percent. I wholeheartedly agree. And now let me clarify. So, she means the eighties blob, not the original. Hundred percent. Even though the fifties blob is cool too, or six. Yeah, I enjoy the fifties blob. I have yeah, not I seen. Uh, I've not seen Beware of the Blob, but the original Blob with Steve McQueen, and then the remake, which just Darabont was like, "Oh, you think you know what the Blob is?" Well, here yeah. you go. Here's some real fucked up shit that's going to happen. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Such a great 80s horror movie. Um, and it should be. I mean, Darabont's great, you know, and and uh, Russell, Ken Russell, who was behind it as well. Um, you know, they've both done some pretty awesome stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's an example of, of something. And I'm not saying, I mean, it's mine. So, obviously, I'm going to rant and rave about it because I love it. But, um you know, I, I have a lot of friends who have really awesome ideas for movies that I would love to see get made. And it's just a matter of finding the money. So hopefully one day these people with the money will wake up. You know, maybe maybe Jeff Bezos is a fucking horror fan and says, hey, here you go. Here's a bunch of money to make horror movies. I don't know. Uh, he's probably too know, busy. Okay. making. He's too busy making penis missiles to go to the moon. <laughs> Our. Alien automatons horror fans? I'm not sure. He doesn't seem human to me in any way. Oh, I beast me. <laughs> I have no idea. All those guys, they have too much money to be human. Yeah, no shit. Oh, anyway, Tony, I know I know you and your wife have to have to go get dinner, but I wanna I wanna thank you so much for coming on here. It's been a blast, man. It's it's been too long and like like I said, I don't know you personally, but and I consider you a friend. I'm going to support the work you do. I'm definitely going to support what you're doing with Bloody Disgusting and Screenbox, all that kind of stuff. And I hope we get to hear about another movie coming from you soon, brother. I, I sincerely appreciate all those kind words. Um, it, it really means a lot to me. You know, I, I always try and, and say that to people that. You know, if it wasn't for you guys that we wouldn't be able to, to do what we do and and I miss it. So, you know, I, I hope to, to be able to give you something new soon. Um, I'm definitely excited about what Blade Disgusting's got going on. Um, and uh, I'm excited about what my friends have going on and what I've got going on. And, and hopefully in the next couple of years, we've got some new stuff for you from Scotchworthy. And um, it just it means a lot to me that you say what you say. And, and I consider you a friend as well. And. Um, you know, it's the great thing about social media and about the internet is that, you know, you meet people across the country and you have similar interests and you become friends because of it. And now you're helping me promote my stuff. And I, I really appreciate that. So thank you for exactly. having me on and Leanne, thanks for, thanks for watching the, the movies as well. And, and for the compliments, I appreciate talking to you too. Well, you've been an absolute delight on multiple levels. You've been such a treat to talk to. Thank you. That's sweet of you to say. So that being said, Tony, I'm going to let you go here. Do you have any other any links, uh, any anything you want anybody to go check out that you want to promote here? Also, if you send those over to me, I'll include them in the show notes so everybody will be able to find that stuff there. 
I know Scotch I believe it's scotchworthy.com. Yeah, yeah. Bottle of scotch what? worthy like we are not worthy. My wife hates it when I say that. <laughs> I love it because that's how I remember it. And that's how I tell people if I'm ever pointing them your direction. There you go. Scotchworthy.com. Um, we're on, yeah, I'm on Facebook uh, under Tony Wash. I don't really use Scotchworthy's Facebook page. Scotchworthy's got an Instagram. Um, I think it's 200 Proof Terror is, uh, is the Instagram account. And um, got a YouTube channel. It's Scotchworthy TV. I've been slowly, very, very slowly uploading all the um, our catalog of World of Death episodes to Scotchworthy TV's YouTube channel. So you can check that out there. Um, but yeah, otherwise, just check out uh, Roku or Pluto or Slang or Screenbox for Bloody Bites and um, Bloody Disgusting TV. And, um, you know, my friends, uh, my friends, Rob and Sarah have a movie called Revealer coming out on shutter i believe in a couple of months um it's premiering at panic fest this weekend um which is pretty cool uh my wife and i i think are actually going to watch it tonight because we got a link for it so i'm excited about that um nice and it's it's like an 80s uh movie about a, a stripper and um a religious girl who is protesting outside of the the video store where the stripper is dancing in a peep show booth and the basically like judgment day occurs and everybody's wiped out and these demons come to earth and the two girls hole up in the peep show booth and have to get along and fight the demons. Um, and it's, it's written by the guy who does that hack slash comic. So, um, I okay. think quite a bit of attention. So I'm pretty excited to check that out. And, um, they just wrapped my buddy, John Pata's movie, black mold. Um, which seems like it's going to be pretty awesome too. So lots of cool stuff coming out from my film family that I'm really excited about. And, and I'm, I'm very, uh, very proud to be able to promote for them to your audience. So I'll have to check those things out as well. I'm sure they all have Instagrams and stuff like that. I know black mold does. Um, so yeah, check it out. If you haven't watched the stylist yet, I was a pro associate producer on the stylist. That movie's been getting all over the place. It was, uh, considered one of the best horror films to come out last year by variety and the Academy and Fangoria and stuff. Um, so that, that one was out there too and lots of other fun stuff. So plenty of places to check out things that, that the film family that I work with is a part of. So yeah, thanks for, Very thanks cool. for getting me on. Of course, of course you, you're one of the people that has an open door to come back anytime. Because well, I always enjoy sit. having you on. It's always a blast. And next time, we're just going to talk horror. Hell yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> let's let's right. do it. Let's, let's run through 80s horror. I've been wanting to. I really want to sit and spend some time talking to somebody. I want to do a breakdown of all of the alien ripoff movies from the 80s. I'm down. I am down. I'll have to do a little research, but I'm down. Galaxy of Terror, Forbidden World, <laughs> Endless Descent, Leviathan, Deep Star Six, uh, Creature, um, uh, Alien Two on Earth. Um, those are a couple of them. So you, you got a list right there to start with. There we go. Um, there we go. Yeah. Let's talk more about this. See if we can get it together. Cool. It, it would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. Some of them are pretty damn good. Fun. Some of them are pretty damn good. So, 
All right, guys, take it easy. Thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate you it. You too. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, apologize to your wife for us keeping you for so long. Yeah, it's all right. She she enjoys listening. She she she's been sitting here the whole time smiling. So you guys have a good <laughs> night. Okay. Great. You too, Tony. Thanks again. All right. Bye. Bye bye. So once again, I want to thank Tony Wash for coming on and talking with Leanne and I about horror in general, talking about what he has coming up and what he's currently working on. It's been far too long since we had him on, and it was a really fun time having him back on. Once again, that is Tony Wash. You can find his stuff at scotchworthy.com. Make sure you check out his movies. Go over to their YouTube channel at Scotchworthy TV. You can check out The World of Death. All those episodes are eventually going to be there. As he said, he's working on uploading them to that channel. Make sure you check out Bloody Disgusting TV. If you have a Roku, check it out. Uh, if you have Pluto or Sling, you can go check out Bloody Bites when they're programmed. Like I said, I had a hard time trying to find them, but just keep an eye out. You'll see when the programming comes up. And check those out. I'm sure they're a lot of fucking fun. And yeah, just show this guy some love. Show his friends some love that he mentioned in the show. Support these indie filmmakers because they're doing the best they can and they're actually putting love into what they're doing and yeah that's that's it there will be links in the show notes you guys can find us at facebook just search for skewered universe you can find our group and our page there join us follow us see what we're doing there as far as the show you can find us on apple podcasts and anywhere you get your podcasts Pretty much located everywhere. Just search for Skewered Universe Podcast. And don't forget to support to support the show. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can find upcoming commentaries. We're working on those. Trust me, we're working on them in the back end. And there are transmissions episodes available for you there as well. Once again, a great thanks to Tony Wash for coming on and talking with Leanne and I. We're going to have him on again because... Not only is he a great friend of the show, he's just a great guy all around, an awesome filmmaker. Like I said, go to scotchworthy.com, check out It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To, The Break, High on the Hog, A Chance in Hell. These are all solidly made movies. A Chance in Hell is a short. It's only 35 minutes, but check it out. It's really fucking awesome. Nazi zombie movie. It is great. The Rake is a throwback to those old school monster movies with really solid effects. And It's My Party is just... A fun romp of indie filmmaking at its best. So that wraps it up for this episode. And until the next one. Well, wait, before I say anything. This is episode 46. That means we are four episodes away from our big 50th episode. And we got some things coming up. So in episode 47, we will be discussing what we're going to do for our 50th episode. We're going to discuss a little extra thing that we're going to be doing so you guys can take part in something special. And coming up on April the 22nd at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Leanne and I will be going live on 2G1C with JB and Chuck McNasty. You know our friends over there. We're going to be on their show live streaming talking about Cannibal Holocaust. So make sure you tune in and check that out. That's going to be a fuck ton of fun. And until the next time we talk to you guys, stay safe. 
and keep enjoying that universe that's just a bit skewered.